this is what we do, right? We, we look around at people and we compare ourselves to people and we think, yeah, I'm doing pretty good because I'm better than her or him. But this is not the standard of strength that God wants us to shoot for. Welcome to the ACC Podcast. We're honored that you took some time out of your day to listen to one of our weekly messages. We hope that these messages bring you closer to Jesus, strengthen your faith, and deepen your understanding about the Bible. If you're thinking of attending ACC, we're currently holding one service at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can visit our website for more information. That's anacortischristian.church. That's A-N-A-C-O-R-T-E-S Christian.church. You can also visit our website if you have any questions about ACC, like our core beliefs, where we are located, or if you'd like to get in contact with us, we would love to hear from you. So, whether you're sitting, driving, or exercising, thanks for tuning in. Let's dive into the Bible together. If you would, um, there, there, I think there's a notion a lot of times that, that whoever's speaking up here, like whatever they're preaching on, like has it all together and they're just relaying it to you. And, and the reality is that most of the time I end up getting more out of the sermon as I preach it and things come to me and click that I've been struggling with all week. Uh, and so I just, first of all, want to let you know that, you know, for I think I can speak for Mike and Mark and, and Brian, whoever else has been up here, is a lot of times we don't have it figured out. We are just relaying what God's been showing us and, and doing with us. And so I just want to open up in prayer because I, I know that, God, that the Holy Spirit is here, but just to ask him to move, not just in, in your life, but mine as well. So let's pray. Father, I, uh, I thank you that you're here. I know you want to move. I know you want to stir hearts. I know that you have the ability to speak to every single person in here where they're at, regardless of where they're at, because that's who you are. And so I ask you to make your presence felt. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever been in a physical training program? Just show of hands. It could, it could be for like work, could the military, could be for a sport you were training for, could be that New Year's resolution that, uh, that you were acting on. Um, I ask that because as I'm thinking about like a physical training program, for those of you that have actually been in one, was it very fun? I'm seeing some head shake yes, some shake no. And, and I, I know for me, and everybody's circumstances are a little different. I mean, I'm seeing this a little bit. Uh, there was something rewarding about a lot of the physical training I've done. There were some fun aspects to it. Like I'm thinking back to like my, my soccer days and like the relationships that were built. But, but when I think about the actual physical training aspect itself, I don't really have a lot of great memories about the actual physical part. Like it was, you know, exactly, yes. Physical training, um, 
it often involves like pain and sacrifice. Would you agree with that? I, at, least, at least most of the time, I would think. It, it takes a physical, a mental, an emotional toll on a person. And I say that, first of all, because James today is going to call us to a, a training program that he likens to physical training. But if you don't see the value in why you're training, you most likely won't be able to outlast the hardships that come with the process. And it, that reality is important to understand because that's what James is going to present us with. And, and the, the training program that he outlines for us, if it weren't for the prize, would sound absolutely insane. And so I just want to throw that out there. Now, when I think of physical training, I, I think of my, my mind immediately jumps to like the Olympics and Olympians. And I, we've just had an Olympic Games. We've just finished up. And, you know, for the most part, while most of us, we, uh, we just have an amazing opportunity to watch in awe as the best athletes in the world get to just showcase their abilities for the athletes themselves who competed in the games, that competition is the culmination of what they've essentially spent their entire lives training for. I mean, just think, for years leading up to the contest, I, I've listened and read about numerous Olympians, their stories seem to be the same. It's like every decision these people made, from how they spent their time, to the training things that they did, to the to what they put in their bodies food-wise, to even their social lives and their relationships and what they did and didn't do. It all revolved around one moment to compete. And the question is, why do they do it? And the reality, obviously there's a certain pride in being an Olympian. There's a, there's a recognition and a status that goes along with that but also, a lot of these Olympians are training for a piece of metal. I mean, just think about that. They're training for this piece of, of metal. And the reason they do it, it's not really just to get that, that chunk of gold or, or whatever it is. It's what that represents. It represents, like, fame and, and supreme glory. In fact, in the ancient Olympics, they didn't give out medals. They gave out crowns of olive leaves. I mean, it's not, for us, probably not that valuable. But that crown represented, again, like worldly fame and supreme glory. Now, here's what I find interesting. So I, uh, I got a graduate degree uh, in exercise science, and, and I kind of specialized in sports psychology. So I, I had the opportunity to take uh, several sports psychology classes, and, and I've forgotten most of what I've learned, to be honest. But there was one lecture that really stood out to me. Uh, my professor was talking about the number of Olympians who won gold medals, and then the next, like, months of their life to years were spent in depression. Now, think about that for a second. You spend your whole life accomplishing what you've dreamed about, and it seems, at least for many of them, to bring more hurt than it does happiness. 
the end of their journey, the prize that came with it on some level left them feeling discontent, like there was something missing. And, I, and I, again, as I say today, James, he's going to call us to a training program. He's going to liken it to that Olympic athlete uh, and to undertake the training that James is going to talk about would honestly sound insane if it weren't for the prize that he places before us. And I, and I want to read it for you. It's uh, James 1.12. This is what he says. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast, or that word for steadfast is endure. So blessed is the man who, re- who endures under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so a lot of times we think of that crown as like a royal crown. The reality is it's a victor's crown. It's, that, it's like that crown of olive leaves for the, to go, that goes to the victor that represents glory. And unlike the prize of worldly fame and glory that will eventually fade, the reward that God has in store for those who willingly choose to embrace and endure the trials and the hardships of, of the training process, what he's promised is that it will lead to life. You will never be disappointed. It will lead you to ultimate, real, joyful, satisfying life. He says there's nothing better than it. It's worth it. Enter the training. This is how Paul puts it. First Corinthians 9, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. We do it to receive an imperishable one. So, James, we know a little bit about the price he's talked about, but what about the training program? That's really what I, I want to know. What, what, what is this training program going to entail? And he actually gives it for us in the first few verses of chapter 1. And And I'm going to have to break this up a little bit just because there's so much depth in some of these things. But he starts out this way. This is what he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, we can stop there. This is just the hello. And already we know quite a few things just from this first verse. Like we know that he is speaking to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Have you ever lost everything? Anybody in here ever lost almost everything? Could be a fire, could be, I mean, I I don't think many of us fit that category, but the people that James is talking to would fit that category. They have lost homes, possessions, jobs, identities, reputation, status, security, relationships. These are the people that James is talking to. They were people that in the dispersion, because of what they believed and because they chose to follow Jesus, they were forced to flee from their homes. And so they were refugees. They were living in foreign lands. Most of them were working as migrant workers, most likely. They were the bottom of the food chain. They knew what it was like to be looked down upon, to be taken advantage of, to be mistreated, Uh, I'm sure they knew what it was like to go unfairly without pay or to have days where you couldn't feed your family. And I I bet, honestly, the hardest part was the remembering. 
Like remembering a time not too long ago when you had all these things, when you had security and, and you had a life that was thriving and now you're not thriving, you're just trying to survive from day to day. And I don't envy James. How do you pastor people like this? I mean, just think about the pandemic we've been going through and, and even those times where there, were, there was separation. I, I struggled to know how to pastor in that situation, let alone people that I that I've pastored that had to move completely away and are in dire circumstances. I mean, what do you even say to people that are in those circumstances? And fortunately for, for these believers, they had James as a pastor and not me because I certainly would not have possessed the, the wisdom or the perspective or the courage to tell them some of the hard stuff they needed to hear. So this is what he says to these people that are just, they've lost almost everything. Count it all joy. What? I mean, really, James? That's what you got for me? Count it joy, pure joy, unmixed joy. I mean, just put yourself in their position. You've lost almost everything, and someone tells you to count it joy. How would you respond? But these, this is what these people needed to hear, and I'm sure they must have thought, James, are you insane? Why in the world would I do that? And this is what he says. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds because, because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast endurance and let steadfast endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, it's the trials in life that test you so that you can gain endurance and we all need Endurance, because it's endurance that allows us to be completely restored and remade into the image of Jesus. That's why you count it joy. And so, just pausing there for a moment, how many of you in here are going through a trial? There is something in your life that is hard and difficult and painful. There are various kinds of trials. Yes, that's what James says. He says there's trials, obviously, of health, relationship difficulties, finances, anxiety, loneliness. I mean, we could just go on and on. There's all sorts of trials. And if you are going through a trial right now, there's a, a tough truth that I want you to hear, but it's a, it's a tough truth that for those that have entrusted their lives to Jesus brings all sorts of hope. And here it is. The road to possessing a heart like his, the road to receiving the crown of life involves encountering and overcoming trials. I want to say that again. The road to possessing a heart like Jesus and receiving the crown of life involves encountering and overcoming trials and there's no way around it. Now, this, this could be misunderstood. So before I move any further, I want to just spell out what this does and doesn't mean. Uh, first, what this does not mean. This does not mean that you and I should go out looking for trials. You don't have to. Trials will find you, okay? This also doesn't mean that God is up in heaven, like creating trials just to throw down at us, okay? That's not the picture here. Uh, we live in a sinful world. 
We live in a world that has been infested by sin and just a consequence of that reality itself means that the brokenness of this world will touch each and every one of our lives. The Bible doesn't shy away from that. It's not like when we accept Christ and choose to follow him that God puts this protective bubble around us, at least not physically, that shields us from all the stuff that this world throws at us. Jesus himself said the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And so just to understand this this is not what James is getting at here, the, the, these things that we might kind of cook up or think about. James isn't telling us, therefore, to pretend to enjoy what you're going through. He doesn't say, like, put on this happy face and, and pretend to enjoy or like the trials. We shouldn't like the trials. That's not what he's calling us to. We should not mask over the anger or the pain or the sadness or the frustration that comes with them. It's real. We need to acknowledge that. There's something to be said for grieving and for mourning. What James does say is that you and I can take joy in the fact that God can redeem our trials. He can bring ultimate good out of them so that our trials aren't wasted. And that's something that we can say as believers that the rest of the world cannot. If you and I choose to respond the right way, God can use those hard and painful things in our lives as a means of training us so that what we're going through can make us like Jesus and catch this last part and prepare us for more meaningful and ultimate things that he has in store for us. So how does God do this? In other words, how, how does this training program work? And James, he's broken it down into to three phases or three steps in this process. I call this God's training plan. First, trials test us. And then next, test, testing produces endurance. And then finally, given enough time, endurance brings completion. This is the, this is the outline. This is the training plan that, that, God lays, that James lays out for us, that this is how God works. And so I just want to take some time to talk more in depth about each of these steps. I'm going, to, I'm going to begin with that first step, trials test us. See, it's the trials in life that provide the training ground for testing to take place. That, that word tested is a really fascinating word. Uh, it, it talks about the purity and the genuineness of a precious metal. And what the refiner would do, he would take, he would take a, a precious metal that was mixed with all sorts of other like worthless waste products and he would heat the whole thing up to like really extreme temperatures. And what would happen is the, the precious metal would melt, the, the impurities would rise to the top, these things were called dross, and the refiner would skim them off the top. And this process would be repeated over and over and over again until the metal was considered to be tested or pure. And this is really cool. The, the way the refiner knew that the metal was tested was he could look into the metal and clearly see his reflection in it. As believers, you and I are a lot like that impure metal. We, we possess hearts that are a mixture of treasure and, and trash. We have God's DNA implanted in us, but we also have a lot of remnants and rubble from, that, from our old life 
and our old self. And all these things are mixed together and they're totally repulsive to God. And so what needs to happen is these things need to be revealed and removed and then replaced with the nature of Jesus. And the only way that this seems to happen, at least in my own life, is by turning up the heat of my circumstances so that these ugly things inside of me rise to the surface. And that's how God deals with them and removes them. Have you ever experienced any, like, anything like this in your own life? It's like for me, okay, so I think a uh, great example. Uh, I, I remember when I was younger, like young adult, and throughout most of my life, I've had numerous people come to me and, and just tell me how patient and kind I was, you know, as a teacher, being so understanding. And honestly, when I was younger, I used to believe them <laughs> and take some pride in that. And then I had kids. And I realized I was not a patient, kind person, and my wife can attest to this. I was just untested, right? It's the testing that has a way of bringing the nasty stuff out of us. And as I've gotten older, I've learned there's a lot of that inside of me. And this brings us to that next step in the process and that training plan that you and I need to be continually tested because it's the testing that produces endurance in you and me. The essence of endurance, it, it involves remaining under a heavy load for a really long time. And endurance is something that has to be trained in order to be gained. It, it's interesting that this is not something, endurance isn't just given to us at the moment of our conversion. It's not given to us when we choose to follow Jesus. Like, and Paul talks about Ephesians, we get a lot of spiritual gifts. He outlines those. Endurance isn't one of them. Endurance is something that has to be trained in you. Spiritual endurance is not cultivated from the comfort of a couch. It's cultivated in the crucible of hardship. And, and building endurance, it involves overloading a muscle placing it under stress until it's broken down and then built back, back stronger. And, and when it's built back stronger, then you're able to handle more weight and you're able to handle it for longer. And we call that endurance. Your endurance increases. And, and the, the concept sounds almost contradictory, but it's absolutely true. It's true in the physical world and it's true in the spiritual world. Now, I'm about to give an illustration and it's going to compare physical endurance to spiritual endurance because there's a lot of similarities between the two. But there is one huge difference that I, I wanna make sure I clarify because if, if, we, if I don't clarify now, then we could totally get the wrong idea about what spiritual endurance is. You see, physical endurance is, we, we often associate it with this ability to like dig deep within ourselves to grind out or, or to show grit and get through something. I think of like cross country runners. One of my best friends back in Texas was a cross-country coach, and I was always amazed at those, those athletes and why they would run just for the sake of running. That just sounds really weird. But they did it, and these were some of the toughest people I'd ever met. I mean, running to the point where they would just absolutely collapse or, or just almost pass out 
because they ran so hard and they talk about just this ability to dig deep within themselves to be able to do that. I always admired that. And, and if we're not careful, we could carry this thought process into the idea of spiritual endurance and just this idea that I just need to white knuckle this thing and I need to grind through it and reach down inside of me for like this toughness. But that, that is the opposite of what spiritual endurance entails. You see, spiritual endurance, it's not about tapping into this inner strength. It's the recognition that you completely lack it. It's digging deep into God's strength and learning how to do that. Spiritual endurance exercises the muscle of faith, which is learned dependence on God. This is what spiritual training entails. And it's, it, it only comes through recognizing our need and then Christ's strength and then choosing to just cling on to Jesus continually and consistently in every circumstance and trial of life. That is what spiritual endurance is. And it's actually the difficult and the frustrating and the overwhelming and the out-of-control circumstances that we all face that serve as the weight that the Holy Spirit uses to train our spiritual endurance so that we can come to Jesus for strength and so that he can transform our hearts to look like his. So for the sake of an illustration, let's just imagine that I've chosen to follow Jesus and I have become a, a member of God's gym. And I think I'm pretty strong. I mean, I, I don't want to brag, but you know, I, can, I, can, I can do this <laughs> for like an hour. And I know I'm strong because Mike over here can only do it for like 20 minutes, right? And so I've got to be strong. And, and this is what we do, right? We, we look around at people and we compare ourselves to people and we think, yeah, I'm doing pretty good because I'm better than her or him, but this is not the standard of strength that God wants us to shoot for. He wants us to be like Jesus. That's a whole different story. And so, so in order to become like him, what does it take? It takes the stress of weight. I have to add weight to the process. And so I my physical trainer, the Holy Spirit, he, he shows me some weight and, and I start doing this now and then all of a sudden, you know what, this is harder <laughs> than, than what it was before and I can't do this for as long and, you know, it's starting to hurt a little bit and, you know, man, I don't, I, yeah, I have to stop and I have to rest and, and I go through this process and, you know, we, we can do this and then the next day, I wake up and, man, I can barely move because have you ever been there before? You start a training process and then you overdo it, and that, especially when you're first starting out and you wake up and you can like barely move, right? And everything hurts. And, and we can be there and I wake, you know, wake up the next day and like, why am I doing this again? You know, what was, what, what, what was this for? And that's when the Holy Spirit, you know, our personal trainer comes along and says, remember the price. Remember why you're doing this. Your muscles may be throbbing now, but they, they won't always be this way. You know, the stuff that you're doing 
matters. It makes a difference. It's worth it. Trust me, just keep going. I'm right here. I've got you. Assuming that I believe him and I make it through those first stages of the training, some cool stuff starts to happen. I start building spiritual endurance, right? I start building endurance, these weights that affected me so much before caused me to be sore. They're, they're not affecting me as much anymore. And, and I can do it for longer and I can stand up under that weight and still thrive and do well with it. And I see those spiritual muscles inside of me starting to get stronger. And I look in the mirror and I think I'm getting stronger. And, and I celebrate and the Holy Spirit celebrates with me, right? And he says, say, you know, you, your faith is getting stronger. Well done. I'm proud of you, but you're not there yet. What? Here's what you need to do now. You need to add more weight. And so now you got to add more weight in order to be like Jesus and to build further endurance and overload that muscle before. And, and here's the other thing. You know, I, you're doing really well here, but, but there's this other muscle that I'm noticing that, that needs to be developed where you're weaker in it. So you need to do some more exercise. So all of a sudden I'm having to do new, new exercise and I don't like this. You know, it's starting to get sore again and I'm exercising muscles I haven't exercised before. And, and I'm going through this process and and again, it's the same thing. It's like, why am I doing this? It's hurting again. And there I, we have a choice, right? This process is repeated over and over and over again. And, and through it, we have, we have a choice. We can either stick with it. We can listen to the wisdom of the trainer. And we're going to develop and really train and see growth and benefit and, and movement towards that prize or there are times, and I've done this and I know you have too, where we just kind of forget about the wisdom of the trainer. Where's the ice cream, you know? Where's the, where's the remote? I, I need a break. I don't want to do this anymore. And, and in those moments of life, something happens where we regress. They cost us something. And we regress and we, we lose strength. And, and what happens when we, when we get back in that training program? Oh, I got to endure the soreness and the pain of starting back up again. We are all somewhere on that training spectrum. If you're a believer, there on one end, there are those of us and those of you, I wouldn't put myself in this category to be real honest, that, man, you got your eyes on the price. And you are training, like really training. And you've been doing it for years, and it shows. We can look at your spiritual muscles and we can look at your heart and, we can, and you, we can see it. That's one end of the spectrum. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, there's some that you've got the membership, but you just never gone to the training courses before. You skip the training sessions for one reason or another. I mean, it's maybe you don't think you need it to get where you need to be or maybe just the price of the prize is not worth the comfort that you would have to give up in order to start the training. So you've got the membership, but you've never trained. And James is going to challenge us, say, if, if that's the case, man, you might need to check if your membership card is counterfeit or not. But then within those spectrums, those two ends of the spectrum, I think a lot of us fall. And I, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm honestly here. This is one of those areas where I have just been wrestling. I'm continually 
continuing to wrestle through this as far as maybe you're a spiritually fit Christian or believer, but you're not really training. You're working out, but you're not training. And I, man, this, this hit me hard. And I'm still assessing and examining this in my own life because there's a difference between training and working out. And I thought about this and I was trying to, I mean, and I think it, it boils down to this. It's working out, it revolves around me. You know, I, I work out now, you know, and I typically pick the exercises I like. I skip over the ones I don't like, you know. I, uh, if, if, if something comes up, it's an inconvenience, I, I can miss a workout, you know. There's, I work out, but not really training like I, I, I used to. Like when I played soccer, I mean, I was going for a championship. I, was, I trained. You see, the difference between working out and training is working out revolves around me. Training revolves around the prize. It doesn't matter what I want to do. It's about the prize. And I'm going to do things that are uncomfortable. And I'm going to, if I really want that prize, I'm going, to, I'm going to do things that are going to push me and things I might hate or things that might hurt because the prize is worth it. And I just think about my life right now. And spiritually, I... Yeah, the question is, am I working out or am I training? And right now, I'm just working out. I'm fit, but I'm not, I'm not training for the prize. And I'm trying to figure out what that looks like in my life. What do I need to change? What do I need to do? What's your level of spiritual endurance. Where do you fall on this spectrum? How's your commitment to the training program or, or your connection? What does it look like with the trainer? See, in, in those moments when life just presses down on you, I don't know, let's say from a global pandemic, um, how do you respond? Are you able to demonstrate Christ-like character and stay focused on the value of training and the prize? Or do you take a detour and deviate when the weight to the bar is added? Where are you? Now, if you are feeling discouraged by that thought or that answer that you came up with, I want to encourage you. This is not about discouraging, this is about encouraging. It's not too late to start. If you don't, if you haven't been to the gym in a while, you can still come back. If you've taken that break, you can start right now to choose consistency. Your trainer hasn't given up on you. He's not surprised by the struggle. He knows how difficult the program is. And the truth for all of, this, all of this and for all of us is spiritual endurance, it is acquired gradually, often painfully, 
with many moments of setback and stumbling and failure. And it takes a lifetime to develop. And to live this type of life, it takes wisdom. Uh, this is what James says in verse 5, right after he's talked about the training program. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in his ways. I have to be honest, for the longest time, I had a really hard time trying to figure out this connection between endurance and wisdom. It just, it didn't make sense to me. I, I mean, I knew that they were together. I knew James put them together for a reason. They built on each other. I just didn't know how. And then I'm mowing the lawn on Monday. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit can just stump you in the head when you don't expect it. And I'm mowing the lawn on Monday. And I've done, I've really tried. In years past, I've not done a good job of landscaping. My, Sherry, my wife's great about that. I've tried to really take some ownership of that and really pour myself into it, right? And, and we had the lawn looking pretty good, but then we got these moles. Anybody have moles? They don't have moles in Texas, all right? There's one of these things. We got, and so all of a sudden, I mean, we wake up one morning, and there's just like this huge mound of dirt. And we're like, what? And then they just keep multiplying. They're all over the place, and I'm out mowing. And, and these, I'm trying to just make things look better, and I'm, I'm honestly cursing the moles in my head, and I'm thinking some really ungodly thoughts about what I would do if I saw one. And, and I'm thinking, oh, wait. This, this passage came to me. I was like, oh, this is one of those trials I have to endure. And then fortunately for me, wisdom took over and got the better of me. You, you see, uh, moles digging in my yard is not a trial. <laughs> it's a reason to be grateful. I have a yard nice yard that yard represents something represents security represents a house it represents you know things like that uh, there are people in Haiti right now who've lost everything forget thriving they're just trying to survive there are Christians in Afghanistan trying to hide and to save their lives there are believers in China <clears throat> who are worried about their neighbors turning them in for worshiping. Those are trials. Moles in my yard, not so much. They are a, mean, a springboard for gratitude. It takes wisdom to recognize the difference. It takes wisdom to see the value in each. There's a value and the inconveniences that should bring us to thanking God for what we have. And there's a wisdom that's required to be able to go through a real trial. And we, I know we are all going through, you're going through trials. I mean, there's hard stuff. I, I know 
some of you are going through things I couldn't imagine going through. And there's a, there's a wisdom that requires you to be able to count it joy when you're going through various trials, because that's not natural. That requires a heavenly wisdom and perspective. And I think that's what James is getting at here. He, he goes on in verse 9 11, through 11. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall, if its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. In other words, James is saying, and, and this was true, and I think in their circumstances was, um, there are those of you out there who literally have nothing. And the world looks at you like you're almost not human because you don't have anything. And James says, remember who Christ has made you. Boast in the fact that you are exalted in the kingdom and you are a child of the king. And then he goes on, he says, there are those of you out there that you actually have quite a bit and you're rich in the eyes of the world and there's a temptation there This is because you have a lot, you can put your trust in that stuff, you can feel exalted, you can boast in it. And James says, that's, that is a scary thing. It, 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 it's, a, it's a scary thing to have wealth and affluence because that can take you away from what's really important. And James says, don't you dare boast in that. You boast in your humility. You boast in your spiritual poverty. The fact that you've been redeemed and it's your spiritual poverty that's brought you to Jesus and made you a part of the kingdom. See, wisdom, wisdom is the ability to see ourselves, our circumstances, and other people in light of reality and eternity. In other words, it's the ability to see things from God's perspective with kingdom eyes. That's what wisdom is. And that's why James can say, you know, all this earthly stuff is temporary. Set your minds and live your lives on things that really matter, pursuits that are going to last and really mean something. Now, here's the great news. If we ask God for wisdom, he says he's always going to give it. No judgment, no criticism. He knows we need it. He wants us to ask for it. And he gives it generously with loving kindness. There's just one condition we don't doubt. So what does that mean? What does it mean to doubt? And the doubting that James talks about here is all about trust. Do you trust that God is the source of wisdom? That living his way of life is best? Or are you trying to get by from the wisdom of the world and your own intuition? How you and I live our lives says everything about who we trust. And the doubter is the double-minded person. You know, faith says, yes, I believe you, God. Unbelief says, no, I don't believe you, God. Doubt says, yes, I do believe you, no, I don't. Doubt tries to go two ways at the same time, and James says it's impossible. You can't do, ask God to do his thing and then try to do thing, things your own way. 
This just leads to you having mixed values and loyalties. And if you and I are going to come to God this way, asking for his wisdom, when we're still trying to live life our way, he says, you can't do that. We have to come being all in, wholeheartedly looking to God for truth. And this brings us to that third step, the best part of the training plan. Endurance brings completion. See, wisdom sees the value in training. It trusts the voice and the trustworthiness of the training program and the trainer. And eyes who see the wisdom of God can endure temporary pain for the value of the prize that's been placed before them, the crown of life. So again, where are you in this process? The other day, we had the memorial for Sandy Moffat. Uh, I know a lot of you were there. And while there is grief there and loss, obviously, because Sandy meant so much to so many of us, I couldn't help but have a little bit, have some joy. Because if you knew Sandy, you knew she was training for the prize. And even the hard stuff, it didn't deter. It actually made her stronger. By the end, I mean, she was, she was encouraging other people. Hey, I see that. And I just envision her getting the crown. I, I want that. That's what inspires people. That's the type of life we should be living and, and, and striving for. That's what I want to be. So again, as we take communion, as we come to the table together, I want you to think about where you are in that process and what God is calling you to. Thanks again for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ or have questions about having a relationship with Jesus, we would love to hear from you. Call us at 360-293-3729 or visit our website anytime. Have a great week and remember you are loved by us and by Jesus.